Hey, how you folks doing today? In today's conversation, we're going to talk to both Eric Sinnenberg and Angel Washington, who are running for Ohio's State House 21st District. Uh, they're not in any particular order on the podcast. So if you want to listen to one or the other, if you're watching on YouTube, there's going to be a bookmark in the timeline below. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, listen to this or Spotify, just jump to about 20 minutes, and that's when the switch happens. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. This is highlighting the Democratic candidates for Ohio's 21st District. And if you want to reach out to me, you can at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M dot com. That's M-D-E-M-E-R at Kydem dot com. Enjoy. Angel Washington, the Democratic candidate, one of the Democratic candidates for Ohio's 21st district. Welcome to Cuyahoga Say. Hey, good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you for... I don't know if everybody knows, but today is a snowstorm outside. We woke up early this morning. You text me around 630. We're mm-hmm. like, are we still doing this? And we made the trek in here. Yes, so we did. so this is important to make sure that everybody knows who you are in this race. So who are you? Well, I am Angel Washington, as you stated previously. And I am first and foremost a mother. I have one daughter. She is a sophomore in college at George Mason University. I have um, a husband, and um, I am a business owner in the Collinwood area. So I'm a healthcare consultant, and I've been doing um, healthcare for over 30 years. And probably about 2008, I started doing some consultant work, and my clients kept asking, how do we get more and more of you? And so I decided to start my own business in uh, 2015. Um, after being supported by some of my clients, and I never looked back. And um, so I'm a healthcare consultant. I do medical billing and coding. Um, also, we have a school in which we train people to do medical billing and coding. Medical billing and coding is like the genie for the medical industry, isn't it? It is. It is. That is how <laughs> everything happens. Yep. I mean, you know, of course, the, the real magic happens with the providers and the doctors. But when it's time for those things to get paid for, that's where it comes from medical billing and coding. And most people have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's like a completely different language that insurance companies and uh, people like me speak. Um, so um, I've been doing that for over 30 years. And um So I started the business, started the school. Um, My husband also has a small business in the Collinwood area as well that I help with. And I also help to run an LGBT clinic in Cleveland Heights that's called Central Outreach Wellness Center. Excellent. Excellent. So and now you are running for have you held a public office before? I have not ran, uh, held a public office before. I actually am on the Central Committee and the Executive Committee, and I'm a member of the Ward 8 Bratnall um, Ward Club. Okay. Um, so I'm a Democrat, lifelong Democrat, um, registered so, to vote in 1992, I believe, and gotcha. been voting Democrat ever since. Um, and, you know, I started getting involved in my city. Um, with the work club and following my councilman Polinsic and um, just becoming more and more interested. And so, you know, um, I've done a lot of things in my neighborhood, in my community, as far as activism and just being a resource for people in the neighborhood. So when this opportunity became available, I started thinking about throwing my hat in the race, but then I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. So then a lot of city leaders that I know or elected officials that I know asked me, why don't you throw your hat in the ring? And I'm like, okay, fine. And so this couldn't have come at a perfect time, more perfect time because I actually have the time to dedicate. 
Um, you know, my daughter's in college. My husband also is a traveling musician, so he travels a lot. Yeah, what does he play? Uh, he plays the trombone. Okay. He's in um, uh, the Land Brass Band. is his own uh, New Orleans-style brass band. They oh, perform cool. all over Cleveland. They're actually performing tonight um, at the Beachland Ballroom. And then um, he also plays with Morning a Black Star, and they travel internationally. So he's gone a lot. So, um, you know, I started thinking as I was coming into this next sector of my life, where could I put my purpose and my passion? And what a better way is to um, step out uh, and try to put it here. I love that. I love that. How do you interpret this job? Like, look, you're going to go down to, you know, um, Columbus, Ohio. You're going to be with a lot of different Democrats and a lot of Republicans. Republicans yeah. Uh, you have a very diverse uh, district. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so how do you interpret being a state rep? Well, first and foremost, for me, a state rep is going to be a representative for the actual district. They're going to, you know, represent not only the city leaders in Columbus, they're also going to represent the constituents in the district. Um, they're going to be a liaison between the district and the state. And the main <laughs> job is they're going to go to Columbus to make policy and legislation that helps drive resources and money back to the communities to help you know, get things done in the communities. And so looking at our district, District 21, which is Beachwood, South Euclid, Lynnhurst, University Heights, um, parts of Collinwood, you know, and you, it's like a huge district, but it's so diverse. And yep. when you look at it and the different types of people, the different types of businesses, yep. the different needs. But at the end of the day, when you really look at it, it's all the same. Mm. And so I feel that this district really needs a representative that represents the entire district. And I feel that that representative needs to operate on three premises. They need to be accountable. They need to be responsible and they need to be accessible. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I also believe that that person needs to be committed and have integrity. And saying that I consider myself to be all of those things. I'm accountable. I'm responsible. And I'm also very transparent. And I feel like, you know, being transparent holds me accountable because if I'm transparent with the constituents and the city leader, city leaders, that's going to hold me accountable in this role. How do you plan to be as a state rep? I mean, it might be this kind of the same thing as, you know, how do you interpret the job? You just yeah. you gave your three pillars. Um, but like, how do you plan to get things done? How do you plan to be accessible? How do you plan to pass laws? Look, there's a super majority of Republicans. There, in there the are. There, there is. There's a super majority. And we know that it's really hard to get things passed. However, you got to first <clears throat> be able to compromise. And mm -hmm. I know that sounds easier and it's cliche. Oh, yeah, you got to compromise. I've been married for 10 years. I mean, the <laughs> compromise is, is a big thing, you know. So um, you have to be able to compromise and be able to you know, work across the party lines. I can say that I'm a staunch Democrat and that I've been a Democrat my whole life. But however, when I go down there, because we know that we're not in the majority, in order to get things done and to get things passed, you got to be able to work across the lines. And I'm, I, I can do that. Right, right. I, this is a question I know is on the, not on the list, but why do you need to compromise? Look, uh, what I'm trying to say with that question is there is a supermajority of Republicans down there. Mm -hmm. and, and there is a lot of laws that aren't compromises from their point of view. Yeah. They're just like, hey, let's push this down the Ohio's throat, as, as we've seen with like issue one in August, issue uh, one in November. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, you know what? We're going to push this down your throat and we're not going to compromise. Why do you think you need to compromise? Well, I mean, 
you have to compromise. And even though they may be stuck in the, with their feet in the sand, you have to go in with an attitude that you're willing to work with them and you got to have some give and take. And I know they may say that there is always some give and take. Mm-hmm. Now, what we what we see on the, the other side may not seem like it, but it was when they were at the table, it has to be give and take. Right. Because it wouldn't happen without right. it. And so when I say compromise, that's the compromise. I was talking I was talking to another state, uh, person running in, in your race, Eric Sinnenberg, and uh, I was talking about uh, Sean Brennan and Sean Brennan was working on this um this legislation with a Republican. They both mm-hmm. co-sponsored it about getting more, um, you know, um, non-able-bodied uh, cars and stuff like that on dealer lots so people can, you know, access those and we could have more access for more people. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that that was a way that a compromise was really happening and they were working on legislation that really helped more people. So I, I really appreciate that. And why do you think that you will be qualified for this job? I mean, so I know you got, you're married. Yeah. I know you're a small business owner. Yeah. yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're a hustler. You're a compromiser. I am a so, so, yeah. What I else? I like that, a hustler. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So I feel like I'm qualified for this position. One is because so I, you know, I look at the district and I look at the needs of the district. I met with most of all of the city leaders to see what their needs are. I'm meeting with different constituents to see, you know, what their needs are, because it doesn't matter what I think Angel Washington. I can go down there with my thoughts in my mind, but that's not going to serve the district if it's only self-serving me. So my goal is to find out what the people want and what the city leaders want. And in doing that, you know, I've been able to determine, you know, okay, these are the things that are important to them. But then I'm also a researcher. So I, I'm really into research. And um, just as another token, I um, actually am a PhD candidate. Um, I've done all my coursework and I'm working on my dissertation on pause now. I've been on pause for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. um you know, I'm. I just put that as a preface because I love to research. I love to see the outcome of research, mm-hmm. and so I started researching the district, and I realized, okay, hmm, one third of this district is living in near poverty. Seventy five percent of this district is living in unaffordable housing. You know, forty nine percent of this district is African American. Fifty point four percent of this district is people of color, and I started looking. And I'm like, that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in East Cleveland. So I know what it's like to live in near poverty. I know what it's like to live in unaffordable housing. I'm still in unaffordable housing now, you know, in my in my mind, you know. And so those things mean a lot to me. And when when people have those type of concerns, I'm willing to fight for those concerns because I've been a fighter my whole life. I've fought for everything that I've got from this point. You know, I you know, I went to a PWI and weird enough, when I went to school, it was in the early 90s, um, I went to the 11th oldest college in the United States, named after President Washington, President Jefferson. And we had probably 1% minority at the school. And when I first got there, um, there was like a whole lot of things happening, racism and stuff like that, that I wasn't used to Mm -hmm. coming from East Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So in saying that, I have been fighting for minorities i have been fighting for the disadvantaged i have been fighting for these type of things and i am ready to fight for our district and on top of that i have 30 years of experience in healthcare with policy compliance uh, regulation and i'm actually working in the trenches seeing how policies and procedures play out every day right and so when i'm in columbus and if somebody's talking about how healthcare really is playing out in the field, 
I have a different perspective. I'm coming from a different lens and I can add, you know, how this really affects people or when they're talking about drug prices or talking about mental health um, accessibility and rights. I see it from the, the ground level because I'm here. I'm doing the work every day in the trenches. You know, you bring, you bring up two things I want to comment on. Uh, the first one is uh, gr- growing up myself, um, I went to schools, you know, where, where I was one of the only of one of one of one or one of two non-white people in the school. Mm-hmm. And it, it does bring out um, inter- different dynamics within the school. Mm-hmm. And you it, so it is definitely a challenge uh, in some ways. And honestly, sometimes I don't even feel that it is really mean or racism or, or, or it's just kids being dumb. You know, and it's, then, it's not even dumb. It's that they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Because they never had the experience. They and never they had the experience. Exactly. Most of the students I went to school they with, act out. they had never been around an African-American person before. So when they would ask a dumb question in my mind. Or be dumb. Or be dumb. Right. It's just because they didn't know. Now, exactly. does that excuse it? Yes, no, exactly, know. exactly. But, but it's, it's conversations. But that, just to understand where a person is coming from. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. And then you find a lot of people that really have your back that get it, and they're like, "Oh wow, you make some really close." I mean, I have really close friends. Exactly, exactly. exactly. And they want to be, you know, and they're excited mm-hmm. because you know they just never knew. So and the other thing you, you you said there that I want to touch on was drug prices, and I think that a lot of people, and since you're into medical coding, the medical code is like the god of what you're going to pay if it's a uh, cash or if it's insurance or how insurance is billed and what they're going to accept and what they're not going to accept and those kind of things that you know really it's so convoluted and so you know behind the curtain that you know people really can that's what we're talking about when we say high high prices when it comes to healthcare is Mm -hmm. is, is that whole process how it's driven from the beginning and that's the thing is like a lot of people don't have no clue that this type of stuff exists right and this is the world that I've lived in for 30 years. I've worked at every hospital in the city of Cleveland. I've worked at healthcare all over the country. I've been to Cuba <clears throat> studying healthcare. I've been everywhere. So healthcare is my thing. I wish I wish you would go and like have like maybe like a course on what it does on the back end because my girlfriend's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so if she can code something for like the same thing went for like I think it's like preventative or you know, but then another it changes. And it completely changes exactly. Everything. So the insurance company would be like, "Oh yeah, we'll cover this because it's preventative." But if we're covering it because you know something else, they but won't. It's the same procedure. Same procedure. And they won't do it. It's it's all. It's, so when you talk about medical billing and coding, just a quick spill. So basically, um, what happens is a person presents to your girlfriend, your doctor girlfriend, mm-hmm. and they have a visit, and she writes a note. She puts everything that happens. Right. But when it's time for her to get billed and to get paid, she can't just take that note and give it to the insurance company. So that note has to be converted into codes. And those codes are then sent to the insurance company. And in turn, they decide if they're going to pay or not pay the bill. Ridiculous. Based on the codes that are on that note. And those codes need to tell a story. Yep. So basically, those codes will say, you know, what this person came in for. Yep. You know, did they come in because they had diabetes? Did they come in because they had a headache? What happened when they came in? That'll be a code. And then, you know, what happened afterwards? That's a code. And that whole thing tells a story to the insurance company to be able to decide. But those codes are also used for statistical purposes. Mm-hmm. So when we say how many people in the United States have diabetes type 2 with renal onset, it comes from codes. That's how we know. So... We use those codes for statistics. And the crazy thing, though, the even more crazy thing, see, I love this, um, is those same codes are used for statistics all over the world. But the United States is the only place that uses it for reimbursement. 
Explain that. So in other countries. So, so wait, 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 here's my specific question. Sorry. The exact same code. Let's just call it code number two. And mm-hmm. code number two is, say, diabetes. Just mm-hmm. for for reference, it's not really that. Mm-hmm. But code number two is diabetes. You're trying to say a place in Germany and a place in somewhere else will understand co- code, code number two. two is diabetes. Okay. And they just use it for statistical purposes. Mm-hmm. United States are only place that uses it for reimbursement because other places have free health care or they have different systems. So they nobody else uses this codes for a reimbursement but the United States. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm telling you. I, look, you're going to come back here. We're going to do a, a 101 on how this works because I think <laughs> yeah. a lot of people need to know. Well, yeah, yeah, they do need to know because it affects the type of bills you get. Um, as a consumer. Mm-hmm. So most people don't know, like when they go to a doctor's office, sometimes there's a sign on the desk and most people don't pay attention, but the sign will say, you're going to receive two bills today. One bill is going to be for your doctor and one bill is going to be for the actual sp- space that you saw the doctor in. Right. But people don't pay attention to that. And then they get home and they get two bills and they say, why are they giving me two copays? I paid my copay at the office. You probably paid your copay at the office for the doctor, but now you're paying your copay for the actual room that you were in. Insane. But they don't understand that. So it's a whole lot of intricacies with all of that. But With that, I believe that this is the type of lens and perspective that we need in Columbus to be able to affect some of the Oh, right. Yeah, we're talking about that. We went off on a 10. Yeah, we did go off. But, you know, I'm taking it back because I believe that because I've been doing this for so long, I have a fresh perspective, not stale. I'm coming to Columbus with a fresh perspective and okay. I'm ready to do the work. I've worked for nonprofits a lot and most of my job capacities in my lifetime have been nonprofits. And if you've ever worked for a nonprofit, you know you wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. You know. So some days you might be actually doing the job you were hired to do. Then some days you might be doing the podcast. You might be painting the bathroom. You might be right, doing right. whatever. <laughs> and so that's what I'm coming to Columbus with. Right. I'm ready to roll my sleeves up and get the job done. And I'm ready, ready to work with whomever is there to work so that we can affect policy to make change and make our district better. I feel historically our district has been left out. And I want to make sure that, you know, especially after everything we've gone through over the last year, that we have a representative that is there that is ready to work and to fight for the people. And that is me. Um, I'm going to Columbus. I'm going to be fighting for um, maintaining home rule. All of the city leaders said they want that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fighting to protect the local government fund. That's my baby. Okay. Because the local government fund is how we, you know, if we can get some more money back into the local government fund and use it for what it was intended to be used, that's going to make sure that we get money in our district for health and human services, for safety, for um, infrastructure. You know, now we're having to come up with creative ways to get money for infrastructure, you know, taking out loans or doing things like that. If we were using the local government fund how it was meant to be used, then the creative stuff that we find money, you know, find uses for money, we could do that for other additional things in our cities and our communities. Right. And so, you know, Everybody just in the community, they want to be safe. They want to be able to have access to health care, access to food. We have food insecurities in our district. You know, if I go down to the Collinwood Inn, we had a grocery store pull out of Collinwood. There are seven senior high-rises right on that strip, mm. and those people have no transportation yep. and no way to get to a grocery store. Yep. Then I go up a little bit further. I get to Lyndhurst. You say, oh, they don't have food. In. They have food insecurities in Lyndhurst, too. They gave away 5,400 pounds of food last year. Hmm. You know, so it's like 
we all have the same issues, mm. even though they aren't always publicized or talked about. Mm. And those are the type of things that I want to be able to try to affect some change into the district. I love that, Angel. So do me the last favor of telling everyone where to find you, where to donate to you and how to support your campaign. OK, now I'm going to turn this way. So <laughs> you can find me on my website, which is Washington for Ohio, Washington for Ohio dot com. Um, you can also donate right from there. I'm also on Facebook as Angel Washington for State Rep. And um, yeah, just check out my website. My Ag Blue donation page is there, WashingtonForOhio.com. And also you can go on my Facebook page, which is Angel Washington for State Rep. Angel, thank you very much for your time today and making your way through the snow. And good luck in... And I hate driving in the snow. And good luck in your primary. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you. Thank you. Eric Sinnenberg, City Council at Large in Beachwood. How you doing? Welcome to Cuyahoga Today. Thank you very much, Matt. It is great to be here. I was uh, commenting on the way in that this, this isn't quite as big as the Howard Stern studio, but it's it's pretty nice in here. Oh. And the, uh, the walls have this, I assume that's for acoustics, some fancy... Fancy acoustics a little backwards there. We got a nice little fake uh, plant, plant over here. I mean, it's... This is it's getting there. The, the, it's getting there. <laughs> the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party takes care of us over here at Cuyahoga today. Thank you, uh, Chairman Brock and uh, Vice Executive Vice Chair Juanita Brent. We appreciate you. Look, you are running for uh, state representative in Ohio's 21st district. Uh, this is an unendorsed race for the for the Democratic nomination. Uh, you have a primary you have a primary opponent, uh, Angel Washington. But right here, we are looking to figure out who is Eric Sinnenberg. Eric. Who are you? So I am uh, a 44-year-old married father of three. My uh, kids are all boys. They're 15, 13, and 9. So if anybody uh, wants to see what chaos is like, come <laughs> over to the Sinnenberg house on Bryan Drive in Beachwood. I bet, man. And uh, it'll be an interesting time. Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm a third-generation public servant. So um, my grandfather was uh, elected to as a judge for years in Cuyahoga County. Um, and I grew up in and around him learning at his footsteps, it, it, literally. Um, he would take me around to, a, to civic and political events and I learned politics from him. Um, it was certainly a different era back then. There was no social media. Um, it was more just the relationship building and the meeting people out and about in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I gravitated towards it. And it's something that I've always wanted to be in and around my whole life, mm -hmm. um, service and politics, mm -hmm. both, both sides of it. Um, the, you know, the getting there, but then once you're there actually doing good work. Right. Um, and so I've been on council now, this is my seventh year on city council. Um, I ran when I was, I felt I was old enough to know at least somewhat what I was doing, but was ready. I, you know, uh, it's, it's great when people young run at very young ages, but for me, I wanted to make sure I had enough experience when I, before I first ran. Right. I understand so, that. Um, I was, you know, late thirties when I first ran. And now that I have six, seven years of experience almost on, on city council, I feel that I want to, uh, take my personality, my talents, my experience to the next level. Mm -hmm. And the next level in Ohio, of course, is, is the state house. Um, as I said in one article, I, when I first decided to run, the state house is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of if you like politics, if you like policy, if you like uh, public service, 
Columbus and the State House is really where everything gets done that matters from a legislative from the legislative side. You know, I'm, I'm happy you said that because um, that that goes into my next question is how do you interpret the job of a state rep? I mean, look, getting elected and then you go down to Columbus and you you know you talk to people and you pass laws. But is that the only job? What is? What do you think the JD would be if you were reading this on a post online? So it's funny. Somebody a few years ago, um, or many years ago, uh, a, a guy I know who's an attorney um, was speaking to a group of other young lawyers mm-hmm. and was telling me about the experience. And they said to him, what makes a good lawyer? And he said, or what are the skills of a good lawyer and the guy said juggling meaning juggling many things at one time it makes sense yeah and i would say being a legislator is the same any job really in government uh in service but especially a legislator is juggling and on the, you know you have three or four balls in the air at one time you know first and foremost you've got to be you know you, you've got to have a baseline level of being out and about in the community um being with your constituents being at you know, city council meetings, school board meetings, local democratic city and ward club meetings, um, events, you know, every city has their big summer events, their big fall events. Now you can't be at all those, but you should be out and about as much as possible. Talk to the people, right. In the Um, communities. And just be out. Yeah. Talking to your residents, learning from them, you know, being there so that people see that you're accessible, but also learning from them. What are their issues? Right. You know, as a legislator, you only know what the issues are that people, you know, I, I'm only one out of 14,000 Bichon residents. So whatever my issues are may or may not be important to the other, the majority of the other residents. Right. Same in a district of 121,000. You need to know and meet as many people as you can to actually know what the issues of importance are. Um, so there's that part of it. There's the constituent, and that goes into constituent services and really serving your constituents if they have an issue that needs to be taken care of. At the state level, obviously, you're the point person. Um, if it's something where it's a local city or county issue, that's why it's important that you have the relationships with the local elected officials. So you can say, hey, Matt, you know, that's actually a, a county council issue or that's a city. You know, you live in Euclid. That's a city issue here. Let me give you the mayor's number. Let me give you your city council person's number. You should bring that to their attention. But to be that resource for them, even if it's not something that you're helping directly because it's not a state issue. And then, of course, the big part is, of course, the lawmaking where you're actually passing, you're one of 99 in the House to pass every law that that matters to this. And and hopefully we're passing good laws and doing more good for the state than harming the state. And I would argue that in the last several years, we've done, the legislature has done more harm than good in the state of Ohio. And when we're in a Midwestern Rust Belt state that needs to be competitive, we need to continue to attract and retain our young people and young people from across the country and across the world here. We need a legislature that is progressive and forward thinking, not backwards thinking. You know, you brought up a really good point about uh, passing laws and the supermajority that the Republicans have over in the state house. And that makes me go to my next question um, is, why do you think, how can you be effective at your job when there is a supermajority down there? This is one thing you said, there has been laws being passed that you feel is antithetical to uh, the progressive nature that we should be having as a state to attract you know people to the state, retain um, young people here. Um, and bring investment to the state. But 
how can you do that if you are in the very minority down there? And also, let me bridge that too. How do you plan to how do you plan to be as a state rep? So two questions, double questions. How do you plan to be effective because you're going to be in the minority? And then how do you plan to be as a state rep while you're down there? Okay, so I think you you got to find the common ground and build the bridges where you can. On some issues, you're we're going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to fight tooth and nail, like the veto override on House Bill 68 mm -hmm. that happened last week. Right. The, the governor did the right thing for not, I shouldn't say for once, but he sometimes <laughs> does the right thing. Governor sure. DeWine sometimes does the right thing. I think that's fair. And stands up to the crazies in the far right of his own party. And he did that, he did that with this, with vetoing um, this crazy bill, House Bill 68, uh, which t takes away the right of transgender youth and I think adults, but most, but certainly the youth um, to have access to healthcare. And of course that gets into mental health and right. that's a whole nother discussion, but um, which is a big issue for me, mental health and the uh, making sure that people that, you know, our citizens who have need access to mental health, get that. Right. Um, anyways, he did the right thing. He vetoed that bill. And of course the Republicans overrode that veto. Don't forget, and so on those issues, we need someone who's going to fight and stand up and say, this is wrong. This is morally wrong. This is ethically wrong. And I'm, you know, I would be a hard no. I would have supported the governor's veto and I would have not overridden it, of course, which all, every Democrat that was there did, um, you know, voted against that. And, you know, I'll be a no 100% of the time on those issues. But I think where you can find common ground, that's where we have to do that. Maybe a little bit more, um, you know, as... Uh, as legislators down there. And I think part of that is appealing to the other sides. Everybody has, I'm reading a book right now by um, Bono, the lead singer of the band U2. Mm -hmm. And he's done as much political uh, advocacy in his career as he has singing. People don't realize it. Right. Um, you know, he was the main one that got President Clinton to cancel debt, uh, all debt that was owed to our country from Africa in the year 2000. His HIV and AIDS work is unbelievable. And I'm reading the chapter right now where it's actually, it's really interesting. Uh, it has to do with, uh, and it, you know, obviously yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day and it's a Martin Luther King Jr. story um, that was being retold to Bono by the activist and actor singer, Harry Belafonte talking about um, how Bobby Kennedy, they didn't think he would be a good ally to the civil rights movement. And in this meeting, Martin Luther King Jr. said, okay, everybody in this room, your assignment is to go out and find, find a way we can connect to Bobby Kennedy. And it ended up that his bishop, who he was close to, was close to some civil rights leaders and they were able to make the connection. And he ended up, Bobby Kennedy ended up being a civil rights hero. And of course he ran in for president and didn't get to be president, unfortunately, he was killed. But the point is, Martin Luther King's message was, go f out and find some way to find a connection to the, somebody who we might who might not be friendly to us. So it's lead, the, the point he, of that story is, is it leads into um, Bono talking about when George Bush becomes president in 2000, and they had had all these great relationships with the Clinton White House, and now Bush is in and they don't know anybody there, and that they're afraid they're going to be too conservative and they're not going to be um, you know, willing to, to talk and work on 
AIDS, it's appeal to something that they appeal to something on their side that you can con they, is a common ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it ended up being the whole conservative, uh, what was Bush's term? Compassionate conservatism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, okay, you say you're a compassionate conservative. Well, here's an opportunity on, on AIDS work. And Bush ended up being an ally with uh, Tabano on that work. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, you got to find some common ground where you can. And that's that's the key when you can with these Republicans to find the common ground on, on an issue. Now, there are some people, unfortunately, I assume out of the 99, I'll defer to, you, you alluded to one of our representatives, Juanita Brent. And of course, we have a really good delegation down there in Columbus. Um, we have 10 Democrats from Cuyahoga County that we send to Columbus. Mm. Um, what I was saying is I'll defer to the uh, 10 of them who already have been working down there for years and have the relationships. There, of the 90, you know, of the 67 Republicans, there may be a couple who are just not worth even finding that common ground with. Right. Um, but I got to imagine that there's at least 30 or 40 Right. That can be a partner on issues. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned appeal to. You mentioned yeah. Rep, Rep. Sean Brennan. He was telling me a story the other day about some legislation that he was working on about how to um, get more accessible, handicapped, accessible vehicles in the hands of people and get them on dealerships so people can shop for them and make them accessible to Northeast Ohioans. And he found a um, an ally for that bill within the Republican Party, and I think that's coming to fruition. And so it's just like one of those things that, you know, you and I'm, I'm disagreeing with you here. It's just like, yeah, you, you you find different issues that help Ohioans in different ways that you didn't expect. And then you find people to work with it. And then you work, you get that legislation done and you can make a difference in a lot of people, people's lives. Um, next question I have for you then is you, you one thing I always hear when I say when I hear people like, oh, Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background. They give me a, a resume or, or you know, uh, what jobs you had and things like that. And I don't really think that is that is actually really adequate to ask the question of why are you? Why do you feel you're qualified for this job? Sure. Well, I feel I'm qualified because I already have legislative experience. You know, city council six. I'm in my seventh year now in city council, and I know what it's like to actually get an idea and submit it to your colleagues for their support and their their approval and then their vote eventually mm -hmm. and to uh you know to pass pass laws um so i have that experience professionally as an attorney i'm not a lawyer snob as i say i'm not one who thinks what's a lawyer snob a lawyer a lawyer snob <laughs> is someone who's a lawyer who thinks because they're a lawyer they're so smart and they know all the laws and, oh, okay <laughs> and and you know that or or one who thinks that pe that that positions need to be filled by a lawyer you know mm -hmm. um because i went to three years of law school and therefore i'm qualified to do something I, i'm not one who believes that believe me that's a, my point is that i'm not however um i do think that being a lawyer does give you some good perspective because you've worked in and around the law you know uh you, you know how to obviously read and write legislation, although I would argue, you know, most of us who are, uh, you know, literate adults can read and write laws. It's not necessarily a special skill. Um, but I, more importantly, I think, is the fact that I have would have relationships with lawyers throughout Northeast Ohio and judges throughout Northeast Ohio, and I could communicate with them on a regular basis about what are the laws you're seeing that are 
impacting your clients negatively? Mm -hmm. How do we, what are laws that we need to change? What are the most recent Supreme Court of Ohio decisions that the legislature could try to go around to correct? Um, and so that's, that's an advantage um, that I think I have as far as professional background wise. But uh, the most important thing about being a legislator is just having an understanding of our world and being open to learning new things and, and being having an open mind where you walk into a room, you don't know who you're going to meet. They may tell you, hey, this is an issue I'm having with the state or this is a law that right. I just came up against that's horrible. <clears throat> Somebody needs to fix it. And, you know, taking it to Columbus and, and uh, trying, to trying to find a fix. All right, last question I have for you then. And this should be easy since we are kind of just going straight into that is, are there any issues that are on your radar that you that if and when you get into office that you want to tackle first thing head on? You know, there's two categories. There's like general housekeeping things that probably need to be done down there. That's maybe one. And then there's actual like, well, what about somebody who's barely making it? Why do they care about House Bill 6 when they need to worry about better wages, better, better benefits, better health care, you know, uh, child care, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to focus on bread and butter issues for those that are in the middle class and those that are not yet in the middle class who are trying to get there. So better wages, better job training, workforce development. Um, for people who work, you know, we have a, a problem with where we don't have universal health care in the state, of, sorry, universal daycare in the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, we only have, I think, 11% of our kids that are uh, from four to six are are in uh, daycare. Every other surrounding state is at least 25%, at least double us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's one issue where- So what you would say, like daycare vouchers or lowering the, lowering the cost would be probably something you'd want to tackle? Well, other states have universal- uh, pre-K. Gotcha. So the state pays for it. I don't, however they do it, it, there's a bunch of different ways you can do that, but they make sure that if you're, if you, if you're four or five, uh, pre-K, mm -hmm. those two years pre-K that you have, that you're in school and it's paid for by the state. Right. Um, what that does though, obviously, is it shortens the amount of time that, a, that a parent has to potentially not work to stay home to take care of their kid. Um, so that, that there's two parts that there's getting kids in school earlier, which is going to help them uh, learn and grow. And also it'll get those parents able to be back in the workforce. If they take a year or two off to help raise the kid, uh, get them back in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a big one, you know, uh, minimum wage. I'm glad to see that this year on the ballot is the effort to, to raise our minimum wage to 12. I think it's 1265 next year. And then 26, it would be 15 an hour. Mm-hmm. I would argue that's still inadequate 15 an hour mm -hmm. adjusted. If, if minimum wage had stayed with the rise of inflation over the last 25 years, minimum wage would be $27 an hour right now. Right. Um, so 1045 where Ohio's at and even 15 where if we pass this uh, constitutional amendment we'll be at next year is still kind of inadequate. Um, but we're getting there, but it's also about jobs and workforce development and training and all those, those, those aspects. Absolutely. Last question I have for you, uh, Eric. First, I want to say thank you very much for coming on, uh, talking about your race, talking about why you're in this race. Um, good luck in on March 19th. Where can people find more about you? Uh, where can people donate to your campaign or volunteer? Sure. So anybody can call or text me anytime. 
216-401-0074. That's the there. first time we had a phone number on the, on the podcast, but there you go. There you go. My number's out there. 216-401-0074. Anybody can call or text me anytime. Um, ericsinnenberg.com is being built. It's, it exists, but it's not fully built out yet. Um, I have several people working on my campaign that obviously if you call me or uh, if people know them, uh, Evan Botsky and Harrison McGrate, they, they are involved in Euclid politics. They're working for me now uh, on the campaign. If people know them, they can reach out to them and get involved. Um, for donation purposes, I have an Act Blue, which I'm sure everybody who's been on this show, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person. I might be the first to give my number out, but I'm not the first to say, go to my Act Blue page. Right? No, definitely not. Definitely not. And you can find the Act Blue on your website, I assume, ericsinnenberg.com, when it's when it's live. When it's live. If not, they go to Act Blue. Or you can just go to Act Blue and put my name in and, it and it, it'll pop yeah. up. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, obviously, it's it's a little hard to campaign right now. We're, what's, what's the high today, Matt? I think it's about 16. Degrees Fahrenheit. Not the best day for not uh, the best day for, door knocking. Yeah, retail politics. No, absolutely not. But, but we are going to once the weather gets a little bit better, we're going to pick our nice days, and absolutely, we're going to be out door knocking. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Eric Sinnenberg, Councilman Sinnenberg, City Council Member at Large of Beachwood, and the current candidate for Ohio's twenty-first state district. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Sir. And this, our Senate district is also 21. So we have a nice little... Uh, Who's running in that district? Con- congruity there. Well, that's Senator Smith's district. Oh, that's so Senator Smith's district. He'll okay. be up in, you know, his his term ends in two years. But it's kind of neat. We have the 21 is both House and Senate. I don't know. Thank you for that tidbit. It's got to be a little pretty rare. Huh? I appreciate you, man. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. It was nice to be here.